welcome to Simply Stogies. Uh, I am one of your hosts, James. Uh, I'm here in the United States and joining me from elsewhere in the world, uh, the traveler, the most interesting man in the world, my friend, Nicholas Cirrus, LH Cigars. Welcome back to the show, Nick. And most interesting man. What am I? The uh, What's that, Joe Secchi's guy? The Joe Secchi's um, guy? Yeah. Joe yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's me. Right. No, no you're back in Costa Rica. Uh, yes, I am. My new, uh, well, my second home. And as I've told you, I like to spend as much time as I can here. And here I am. Not to mention it beats being in New Jersey weather. So yeah, know. it's been a rough winter, hasn't it? Like it's it has. just been, it's just been, it's just been super tough. But part of the um, you know, I guess the charm of you being able to travel, being this world traveler, uh, was when you go to your 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 factory. Uh, in in Costa Rica, Tobacco State, Costa Rica, which we had uh, Felipe on uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, and you gave us a nice tour, uh, and they were um, gracious gracious enough to open that up to us, and I appreciate that. But but you're back there now. You're doing some stuff for LH, and you ran in uh, to somebody who we've been trying. Like I've seen him, uh, and this is a mea culpa on my part because I, I've been like, we need to get you on the podcast every year since I met him uh, at the first time at the trade show in 21. Uh, it's Dr. Stefan Lampert from Lampert Cigars. Uh, Stefan, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for hosting. Uh, great, uh, glad to be here. Amazing. No, gr- great to have you on. Finally, uh, I know. Finally. Tim, yeah, I know. Uh, Tim, the the host of Clear the Air, is going to be very happy. Lampert Cigars is one of his favorite cigars uh, out there. M- mine as well. Uh, I-, I remember smoking it in twenty one and going, Jesus. Nice. This is really good. It, it was the uh, mm. one of the first ones you put out. The sixteen, uh, the Azul. Azul, yes, the Azul, yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, so we're very uh, happy to have you on the program. And, and it's funny because Nick sent me a text message, uh, and he's like, "This was yesterday." He goes, "Hey, look who I ran into," and I'm like, "Oh shit, it, it's it's Doctor Lambert." <laughs> And he's like, I'm like, dude, ask him if he wants to come on the podcast. Uh, he's like, now here. I'm like, I don't care when, where, whatever. Let's let's get him on. And so here you are. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on. And Nick, thanks so much for doing Logan's job. That's one less uh, scheduling thing she's <laughs> got to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So let's get into this. Um, for those who don't know, because I don't know how many podcasts or interviews you, you've, you've done in the past. Uh, uh, and I'm just going to call you Stefan. Uh, I, I would happily call you Dr. Lampert, but I think Stefan will, will, yeah. will help. Um, like, how did you get yeah. into the, the cigar industry? Because obviously there's the doctor in front of your name. What Walk us through that. How did you get into it? Yeah, sure. So my main profession uh, is a lawyer in Austria, Vienna, uh, capital of Austria. And I thought, you know, I, I love cigars. Like, okay, uh, I love cigars so much. I want to have a blend just for me and my clients in my law office in Vienna. Just for just for us, private, if a client comes, you know, we can smoke, we can talk about cases and see what's going on, uh, like how I can help them. Uh, okay, so I started with uh, one blend out of Costa Rica. It was actually the uh, El Gringo blend. Um and I made it just for my clients and myself. And I'm like, okay, this is just for me. It's private. And so we had our first meetings. I ordered, like I started with 1,000 sticks uh, just for me, as I said, and my clients. And everyone really liked it. Like, wow, this is really good. Where can we buy it? I said, well, this is just, you know, you come to my law office. I mean, 
you know, lawyers charge per hour. You just smoke the cigar, right? <laughs> and, it's the least you could do. Yeah, you charge by the minute. The least they can do. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have. I should have. My first cigar should have made a salamon because it's longer. You know, they spend more time. <laughs> no, we started with a, a robusto. <laughs> we started. With, no, yeah. no, so we started with a, a robusto just for myself, and yeah, uh, the reception was pretty good, and. Then I went to a cigar event in um, in Austria, and there was the Austrian importer. He he came to me and was like, "Hey, uh, I heard good thing about you. How long have you been in the market?" And I said, um, "I'm not on the market. Hey, I want to bring you in." I, said, well, I have no idea how this export import stuff works. Uh, they talk to the factory. Uh, they they will handle it. And I talked to the factory um, with Tobacco City, Costa Rica, my, my first factory where I started. It's like, yeah, sure, we can do it. And so we started first small importation. And, and yeah, it got sold out immediately. And I was like shocked. I was like, wow, okay, not bad. And then it starts spreading the words because, you know, all these distributor importers in Europe, uh, they know each other. And the next country started reaching out, like, hey, we want to bring you in. I said, wow, okay, wow. Uh, okay, I was pretty busy with law cases during that time. Uh, and yeah, then we started with the, the next uh, with the next country. And then it was also a big success. And I was like, okay, now I think I should open a company, uh, just a cigar company um, in uh, Liechtenstein, because it's close to the border where I grew up. Um, I opened a company there. And from then... Uh, we started like uh, making, like adding cigars, adding more and more cigars to the portfolio. Not too big because I don't want to have like a massive portfolio. I want to have like a, a portfolio, like, you know, my one, one page portfolio. So everyone should have an overview and that's it because I want to be boutique. And yeah, here I am. And uh, now we are in 30 countries worldwide, like United States, uh, Europe, Africa, Middle East. Uh, China, Hong Kong, you name it. Yeah. All right. So we did a little bit of a, a venue change. You're going to notice a difference in the background there. If you're if you're watching, we were having a, a couple of internet issues. But uh, uh, Stefan, Dr. Lambert, let me ask you this: um, What kind of attorney are you in in Austria? Uh, so I do environmental law, uh, renewable energy. That's my area. I know for many attorneys it sounds boring, but it's still a good niche. Oh my God! <laughs> See, okay, so not only are you an attorney, but you're like an attorney in like a niche, like specialty kind of area and you find time to do this and it's great that how that you you wanted to have this cigar for your clients but how did you personally get into cigars like do you do you remember the first cigar you smoked and the circumstances around that i mean i smoked a couple of like different blends uh when i was in thailand uh i smoked like i took like you know random sticks from yeah, cuba nicaragua dominican republic honduras and I started making notes because there was a big thunderstorm, a big storm coming. I remember that it was called the uh, Pubek. That was the name that I called that storm. And it was raining. I was really angry because I was like, okay, I want to escape the winter. It's very cold in Austria. Now I get to shitty weather in Thailand. I was like, okay, what can I do? I just smoke cigars and make notes on the balcony for like a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So like, I, I, I'm thinking back and the very first cigar that I had from you, like I mentioned before, is the Azul. But I remember going to my first Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest and they had a Don Patron in the bag. And somebody in line was said, hey, you've got to you got to try this Don Patron. And I'm like, OK, let me try the Don Patron because I don't I, I have no idea who it is. I look and I'm like, 
shit, this is a Lampert. This is a Lampert cigar. I fell in love with that. That is what like one of my one of my favorites to sit down in the morning with a cup of coffee and have the Don Patron, the Ocean Breeze. I really like the Ocean Breeze. That was one that just hit my palate the right way. So coming from this background of of being an attorney and wanting just wanting a cigar for your for your clients to enjoy while they're while they're there with you. And you move it into this mass production. You're in third, over 30 countries now. Like, what's that look like? Biting your time, trying to split it between you know doing your attorney thing and doing the cigar thing. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So, yeah, it's really the cigar business got really intense. So I'm lucky because now I can choose my clients I want to work with. So yeah, so the cigar, yeah. Uh, so my main focus is actually yeah the cigar business, but I still represent like. Uh, clients from very good friends of mine you know uh because i helped them like since i started and you know we are just friends i i stick with them uh so uh, but i can choose so i don't take everyone i don't take every client just like the people know that i like because the cigar business keeps me really busy because these different regulations and you know all this regulatory law is also like one of my uh legal areas so it helps a lot uh but yeah so i represent my company a lot as an attorney there (laughs) So, so you're making enough money on the cigar side there. You can slow down on the attorney side, but let me, because I think this is interesting because there are a lot of different things uh, about the law and it's very detail oriented, obviously. What are some of the things that you learned, uh, you know, from your days as an attorney that you've been able to kind of translate over into uh, your practice as a cigar manufacturer? So what I learned, like all these importation rules of each country, so I just knew it by book. But at the end, this is just a theory. The practice is completely different. And, you know, I learned like every country that we export, okay, what's important? How uh, how do we get that done? Uh, I don't want to, because the, the worst thing that can happen, the client buys it and have headaches with the custom. So that's why I'm like on the papers, very precise, uh, it's my legal area. So now, I mean, lucky we never had any problems because papers, everything is 100% correct. Is the importation and the exportation side of the cigar industry, is that some of the hardest to, to, to kind of wade through? And Nick, I'm sure you can speak to that as well, especially uh, when it comes to uh, European regulation, European oversight. And then obviously when you go to the U.S., it's completely different uh, type of regulation and oversight. Uh, is that is that the worst part uh, of the industry for you? Because you know you you're selling also in Europe and in the U.S. Well, it, it is a complicated part of the you know the part you don't really like to do. I don't like it, but it's a necessary evil. Um, so yeah, it's not the fun part of it. But I guess when you're a lawyer, it's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you find it to be easy, Dr. Lambert? Do you think it's like, oh, you're like, no, yeah, there's a difference between, I guess, you know, uh, book law and, you know, book like theory, law theory, like you said, and then implementation and actuality. Is that is that like the hardest to navigate for you or? I I mean, I think for me it's easy uh, because I know how to read the law because if you're not like into like this legal reading it's really complicated and confusing because you don't know really so what does this word mean like i'm confused but if you're you know you have practice and you know actually what uh 
what the words mean or what's like very important, then yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, for me it's easy because I know uh, what are the requirements. How often? Let, let let me kind of switch gears here. How often do you get to the U.S., Doctor Lambert? I know you're you're going to be at the trade show here in the next couple of weeks, but but uh, how often do you get to the U.S.? Yeah, um, uh, around four times a year. And how often do you get to you know Costa Rica, Nicaragua? Um, um yeah, usually. So what I do, uh, you know, I, I land in Panama, and then from Panama, that's the hub of Central America. You go to Costa Rica. From Costa Rica, you can go to Nicaragua. From Panama, you can go to Dominican Republic. Yeah, so around. Probably eight, eight times a year. So yeah, I travel pretty. You travel quite a lot. Quite, quite, yeah. quite a bit. All right. So then let me ask you that because you were a cigar smoker uh, in, in Austria first. And now you've seen you, you, you sell and I, I, you do pretty well in the United States. Everyone knows who you are. You're still a boutique brand, but you, you have that name behind you and people know who you are. They're looking forward to your releases. What's the difference? What's the biggest difference between cigar smokers in Europe, cigar smokers in the U.S.? Oh, yeah, that's um, that's a question like all uh, people keep asking. So first of all, United States, the minimum size they go with to regular smoker is a Toro. Europe, they go for the Robusto. That's uh, if they can choose or even the short Robusto. It depends. Like if it's a country where you don't have much sunlight or it's cold all the time, they go for the short robusto, or if it's a high tax country, they go for the short robusto. Uh, then the the Europeans tend to go with the Connecticut wrapper, like a Claro, like a very light one. Uh, in the U.S. they love Maduro. That's one thing, and another thing is strength. When it comes to strength, it's so interesting because uh, when I give, for instance, a cigar that is like for the U.S. considered medium. In Europe, that would be like very strong if it's completely different palette. It's so interesting, uh, you know, how people smoke in the U.S., how people smoke in uh, uh, in Europe. Like, yeah, completely different. And obviously uh, in Europe, they can smoke Cuban cigars. Nick, this is going to be my next question to you, and I didn't mean to interrupt. But do you think that, right. that a lot of that, that those differences there, you know, the Maduro and the and the, the strength and the, the body, is that because Europeans – are just used to being able to pick up a Cuban cigar whenever they want. And that's like, that's always just what they've done. So they're used to that kind of, uh, that body, that, that flavor profile. You know, Stefan and I were comparing notes earlier this week and that's exactly the market, the, the consumer, the smoker is so different contrasting to the rest of the world, because as Stefan said, they really like stronger predominantly stronger cigars than the other kind. And also, at least for the stuff that comes out of uh, tobaccos of Costa Rica, the fermentation process here is so good and so smooth that, you know, a lot of people mistaken full bodied, you know, as opposed to, you know, we could put a lot of body in it, but it's so well fermented, it's still going to be smooth. So even as full bodied as we can yank it, a lot of people go, oh, this is not... This is not strong. And I'm like, well, I'm not going any further than this because a lot of people mistake in strength with nicotine strength with flavor. Um, and it's, again, what people are used to. The U.S. market definitely likes a stronger cigar and a stronger, you know, medium plus up doesn't fly as much uh, in the other parts of the world. No, no, it, it doesn't. It, did you keep that in mind, um, Dr. Lampert, when you were when you're when you're 
blending, when you're choosing the cigars and the tobaccos, it's going to go in the cigars and you're doing all the hands-on stuff. Are you, are you blending for an American palate? Are you blending for a European palate? Or are you blending for something that is going to be universal, which is all three are hard to do, but I would imagine uh, trying to get something for the universal palate where everyone's going to enjoy it is, is even more difficult. So what, what, what are you typically looking for? Yeah, so uh, that's why we work with three factories in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Dominican Republic to have diversity in our portfolio because certain cigars um, are not selling very good in Europe. They're just too strong. So that's why we focus with these lines more, for, for instance, if it's strong, more in the U.S., we will not focus in, in Europe because it will not sell because it's a strong cigar. Um that's why, as I said, um, diversity in the portfolio so we can shift what's moving, what's not moving. And, you know, we learn like every year or every month, like what's what's moving, what's the palette, like what moves best in what country. So, yeah. So there's a lot. You're really drilling down in the numbers to, to kind of see what's moving where and then, you know, moving inventory accordingly to, yeah. to, to where it goes. Let me. OK. Out of all of the blends that you've done. And I, Nick hates this question because <laughs> like, why would you make somebody choose? Cause like choosing one of your kids, what is like your favorite out of all of the blends that you have, uh, everything in your portfolio, what's the favorite uh, that you have? Cause uh, I, that's I, a tough question. I'm smoking the, the, the golden retailer, the, the Lampert cigars, golden retailer, the Salomon. I, I, I love it. I don't think that this is, it's not too mild. It's not too strong. Uh, and for me, like I would rather sit down with a with a big cigar, a Toro, Salomon, Pyramid, whatever, for a couple of hours and just you know enjoy the cigar. Yeah, that that's a very good question. So for me, if I if I have to choose, I would say in the morning, I would go with a espresso and a Don Patron or a Gringo. It's the same blend. It's a good for me. It's a good morning cigar. After lunch, I will go with the Azul from Nicaragua because you know I ate something it's my second meal in the afternoon I would probably do uh, a ocean breeze and then I would go uh, after dinner I would go with the Morado a Maduro stronger one or if I ate pretty uh, heavy I would go with uh, the Oscura from Dominican Republic because that's a pretty strong one that's that would that would be my choice so you're working with three different factories uh, in, in three different countries, and, and Tobacco de Costa Rica is one of them. Uh, and I, people are going to look at this and go, oh, I know when you recorded this. But this morning, Half Wheel, uh, you know, announced that your your PCA 2023, the the Limitada, is coming out. And that, yeah. you, you're going you're gonna to have that at the show in a couple of weeks. But that's actually getting blended at Tobacco de Costa Rica. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. Tobacco de Costa Rica. So it's, you're, um, so you're, uh, yes, Tor Grande. So you're down there making sure, cause I like, this is, I, I, for us right now, time travels hard folks, but for us right now, uh, you've got, you know, a, a little more than a month before, uh, the trade show two like what, two months, three weeks, something like that. Yeah. Um, so you're down there just making sure everything's good to go, that you're, you're putting the finishing touches on it. How do you, this is, I don't know. Cause I, I don't know how much other people know about how things work. I know a little bit, I, not a lot, but how, how does this work for you? You go to a, you go to a, a, a factory, 
you're looking for something in particular. Walk us through that process for you. Well, like how, how I make a blend, you mean? Yeah. So, yeah, um, now uh, how I do it now, because I have a portfolio. Um, what I want to do now, if I want to create a new blend, I look at my portfolio. What do I have in my portfolio? What Vitola do I have in my portfolio? I need something that is different that I already have in my portfolio. That's how I look at it. Okay. First of all, I will go for the Vitola. Okay. What's missing? What could be a good, uh, what could be a good, uh, sell in general or like what's just missing on the Vitola size? And then I will go into like blending. I will see, okay. Um, want to make a sweet cigar or just a pure strength cigar. Uh, what I want to do. Uh, and I look at it and. I asked the fact what kind of tobaccos are available. Uh, we started blending, uh, working on tobaccos uh, uh, with the tobacco. And then, yeah, that's how we create the cigar. I just, every cigar that we made must be something different that we don't have in the portfolio because I don't, otherwise I can just copy a blend. That's what I don't want to do. Right. So you're very hands-on with it. Oh, yeah. Yes. So uh, I just came back from Nicaragua. Uh, we did some blending there. Uh here we are working on a new blend uh, just for the, already for the next year. Um, you know, I just want to plan everything ahead, like, you know, very Swiss precise. So I don't want to have like any supply chain issue. We go through the inventory. What do we have in inventory? Do we have enough uh, cigar bands? Uh, do we have enough UPC codes? Because uh, this takes time. And the worst thing that could happen that you don't have like packaging material in the factory, but the cigars and the boxes are ready, for instance. That's like, Wow. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I saw the I saw the packaging this morning um, that Half Wheel had uh, from some of the promo materials that you'd sent out, and, and that Limitada packaging looks pretty sharp with the black and the gold. Uh, how much thought for you goes into the marketing uh, and the packaging of a cigar, or is it more on the, you know, this is a great cigar and this blend and this should stand on its own kind of a thing? No, for me, packaging is uh, very important because let's assume a customer doesn't know the brand, walks into a humidor, they look, most most people look with the eye, like what looks nice, uh, how does the wrapper, how is the band, how is the presentation. For me, it's uh, very important because it's uh, at the end, it's a package that people buy. It's not just the cigars, it's like the, the band, it's how is the design, what's the quality of the band, um, what how is the box is it a 10 count is it a 20 count uh yeah these things i pay a lot of attention to it okay a lot right. nick let me ask you because now i'm going to turn it around you're you're the ambassador for uh tobacco de costa rica yes where like what are some of the differences that you notice when working with um american companies and european companies what are the big differences like so like compare and contrast where don't, don't put in, like, don't, don't talk about uh, the blends as far as what each one's looking for, because we've already established that those are different. But what are some of the things that you know, some of the big differences between European countries and, and, and American or Western countries? Well, first let me remind people that I would say 80 to 90% of what is produced here at Tobacco's Costa Rica is originally for the foreign market. If you've noticed, even the ones that sell in the US, like Stefan, like some of the other guys that are out there, your favorite guy, um, <laughs> Stagley, <Christ>. you know, <laughs> and uh, I, I say that lovingly. Yeah. And all the other and the, all the other brands that have come out 
they're predominantly originally kind of based overseas, even like, you know, Atabay, you know, he's a, he's a Spaniard, you know, Stefan is, uh, you know, an Austrian. So there have been non, there have been American, you know, owners, um, but the, the majority is overseas because Costa Rica, and hopefully I'm going to help change that, the mentality uh, of the U.S. market towards the, the factory. It's not as well known, obviously. Um, and when people think cigars, I've gone in, you know, to shops and whatever. And the first thing they'd say, oh, is this Nicaraguan? And if you say, no, it's Costa Rican. Now, when I say Costa Rican, doesn't mean it's got Costa Rican tobacco, even though we do use Costa Rican tobacco here. Right. Not many people, we'd use it a lot domestically. And there are some uh, brands and blends that use it, but I've yet to find something, but that's going to change soon. Uh, but, you know, I won't let that out of the, the bag right now. I'm not letting that but, cat out yet. But, um, you know, I, I want to change the mentality of the American market to recognize that, believe it or not, Costa Rica is like number four or five worldwide producing. And again, out of that, I would say we represent, I don't know this to be a factual, but I would guesstimate that we're 70% of the of the cigars that come out of this country or uh, definitely the majority. So when we're number four or five, I forgot what the, just recently they posted it. That's, you know, it's a good amount of cigars that are coming out of Costa Rica. So we're definitely a country that produces cigars, that's known for their cigars. But of course, you know, in the hierarchy of people knowing cigars, Dominican, and now really Nicaragua has kind of overtaken that. So you got, you know, Nicaragua, you got Dominican, you got Honduras. Uh, there's many other countries, but we're up in the top five. Um, so the mentality, yes, the people that generally will select our factory or try to work with us are looking for something different and something that's majority different than what's really out there. But as I can tell, you are a big fan of stuff that comes out of this factory. Um, so are so many other people. And the idea is to get more people, you know, cigar smokers to be aware of what comes out of this factory because, there's some really good stuff. I think our fermentation process is very unique and different and the attention to detail for all these blends. So I want to promote that more, but yeah, the American market um, we're growing. Let's just say we're growing and, and hopefully it'll grow even more as, as much as the American market needs to diversify the European and the rest of the world has been on that process for the last four or five years heavily in the last year or two. So they're diversifying as well, where they were predominantly Cuban, that was their palate. So, you know, stuff out of this factory is more geared for people. I've always called my cigar uh, the bridge cigar. It's people that normally like Cuban cigars that could find an easy transition to a Costa Rican cigar. And it has a very good reputation, you know, uh, outside of the U.S. People outside of the U.S. know Costa Rica as a major producer of cigars and they see it yeah and, and not to throw shade on the Dominican Republic but prior to you know everybody's just smoking Cuban they would literally say oh Dominican that's a Dominican cigar no it's not but they just thought anything that wasn't Cuban was Dominican which was better than the term they used before which was fake you know yeah. if it wasn't Cuban anything that wasn't Cuban oh it's a fake cigar well what do you mean it's fake you know, there's nothing fake about it, but this is the mentality. And then now, you know, they used to say Dominican. That was their way of trying to be polite. But Costa Rica and many countries like France, 
are starting to, it's becoming very, very well known as a country that produces fantastic cigars. So Doc, I hope I answered the question. Yeah, no, you did. Absolutely. And, and it, it kind of spurred this question for Dr. Lampert. <clears throat> Do you, have you run into that uh, in the U.S. market where, so your cigars that are, that are uh, you know, rolled in Costa Rica, rolled in the Dominican, they'll say, oh, it's not a Nicaraguan. I don't care. Because I, I'll be honest, um, the Don Patron is one of the I, I I put it up there with the with with uh, the LH Claro. It's one of those one uh, cigars that in the morning I could I, like that should I should always have a box or two of the Don Patron. And if if people look at that and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's too light. I don't want to have that. Do you run into that? And if so, how do you how do you change people's minds on that? Like from a manufacturer's standpoint, how do you change the hearts and the minds of folks in the U.S. to try something other than Nicaraguan tobacco? Oh, yeah, uh, I run into that. Um, I think everyone else did, uh, too. So what I did, I said, look, uh, you should uh, really try um, like uh, cigars made in different countries to, to, you know, to, you know, to know your palate. Try this Costa Rican one. Let me know if you like it or not. And uh, I gave them one. And most of the people said, oh, it was really good. I love it. Uh, they became customers. Like, wow, I never thought about that. That's their response. Yeah. No, I never thought of it. Well, maybe yeah. you should try it. Yeah. So, okay. Let, but, you know, let me add something to that, James. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the reality is that even though, you know, if you ask uh, Stefan, he might not realize this, or maybe he does, that still, as much as the American palate is much stronger, the majority of cigars that are sold in the U.S. are mild cigars, you know, the light cigars. However, what I find is the majority of the people that smoke mild cigars are your, you know, your weekend smokers, your golfers, people that just want to smoke cigars for the sake of smoking cigars. And they tend to go to the more well-known name brands, larger factories. And my what I would love to see is for the U.S. market, those people that are occasionally, you know, smoking the boutique, you know, lesser known uh, brands and smoke those lighter cigars, which in my opinion are way better than the other stuff that's out there. They're, they're just more complex, more flavorful, you know, we're not, you know, trying to disparage any other particular brand. But I think if somebody that says, you know, it'd smoke a more well-known brand that's out there, you know, something that comes out of, you know, Altitis or General's portfolio that's very well known. Like the Macanudo is probably the number one selling cigar in the U.S., you know, great cigar. But I think people that smoke Macanudo should try something else that's in the same flavor profile from a boutique brand that may just offer them another option. So maybe they just won't go to that one go-to brand. But again, it's changing the mindsets of the Americans that smoke the mild stuff. You know, let me, I, that, that makes me think of this for, for most boutique brands, a, a lot of them say they don't ever want to be mainstream. They don't ever want to be, uh, you know, the next Pete Johnson or the next Jonathan Drew or the next whoever. Well, that's bullshit. I have to I, just, I was just say gonna, well, that's total uh, let, bullshit. Let's ask, uh, Dr. Lambert, do you, do you want to stay in that boutique lane or do you one day want to be able to say, no, nah, I, I produce 2 million cigars, 3 million, 4 million cigars a year, whatever that number is to, to be mainstream. And I own my own farm now and I own my own factory. 
or do you enjoy going country to country and, and getting the best of what each country offers and trying to find the best expression of those tobaccos and, and put in your blends? So honestly speaking, what I'm thinking, uh, you start as a boutique, you know, small batch, small production. Uh, the people, uh, if you have a good product, keep, you know, they like it. And, you know, at some point you will grow like organically and you will reach, you will, you will just will reach like the 1 million, 2 million. And uh, I think nobody would say, oh, no, uh, I will stop with like 1 million now. No, I will not do more. I mean, that's that's not realistic. We have to be realistic. That That's how it works. Yeah. No, everybody likes yeah. money. I, I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's the name of the game. You don't get into this business yeah. just for the love of the leaf. I mean, that's part of it. But part of it is also, yeah. I and you have been able to make a living at this to the point where you're like, you know, I'm an attorney and I don't have to do attorney things all the time now. I can I can be a cigar maker most of the time. Um, Not to just, speak for, for Stefan, if I can add. Sure. I think that um, everybody that's in this business, especially that's starting in the boutique side of things or, or starting out, I think the best validation, like maybe if it's not monetary, but that's bullshit too. You know, of course people want to make money. Everybody wants to put food on the table, but the best validation for me, and I'm sure for Stefan, but I'll let him answer my question. And, and, and after my comments is if you have more people smoking your cigars, that gives more validation to what you're doing, to your passion in the business. Am I wrong, Stefan? 100% agree. And you've grown quite, quite a bit. Um, I, you know, I remember meeting you in 21, wanting to get you on the show. And I remember I very vividly, you said, no, no, no. You know, your English wasn't that great. You're like, my English isn't that good. Like, no, I don't want to come on. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. We'll, we'll get you on later. Like, no, we're, and your English is, by the way, is very good. Very good. It's better than mine. Um, <laughs> so, and I, so I, I, I trying hard, trying you know, hard. You're, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Um, but you've grown quite a bit. Were you surprised by that growth and how quick it's it's come? I'm because I mean I know some boutique manufacturers uh, like to play in in one playground. They like the one style of tobacco, and that's where they're going to play. And there's nothing wrong with that, and that's fine. But you're playing with Nicaraguan and Dominican and Costa Rican and all these other kinds of tobaccos. But you're you're you've got the three different factories that you work with right now. And so you've grown quite a bit from when, you know, the Azul hit the market and kind of, I, I think that was the one that kind of put your name on the board, so to speak. Like people are like, oh, I need to pay attention to this guy and what he's doing because this is really, really good. Uh, you know, and then, like I said, I found the Don Patron and others have found the Don Patron and then came out with the Ocean Breeze and there's been all of these release. So you have, you've kind of blown up in the last couple of years. Were you expecting that? And if not, like you seem to have adjusted to it well, like what kind of growing pains have you gone through? I mean, I, I, to be honest, I didn't expect that, especially like uh, sometimes I'm like really like uh, shocked or like I wondered like what kind of countries reach out to me. They want to get my product in like uh, last country that reached out like Congo in Africa. Hey, we want to bring in your product. I said, oh, wow, okay, Congo, wow, okay, and it's in Africa, because where is it in Africa, like West, East, uh, uh, what do you need? Because in Africa, I don't have, like, that much experience, but uh, now the countries from Africa start reaching out, we want to bring you in, I was like, oh, wow, that's great, and they can, yeah, Africa is a big uh, cigar community, it's like, oh, okay, I didn't know, because I have never been to Africa, uh, uh, and I didn't know, and yeah, that that just surprised me, like, how the brand, um, the, the recognition, 
was like growing, like growing. Like even we have one uh, distributor even in Indonesia uh, reached out to us. Uh, we'll bring you in into Indonesia. Like, oh, wow, fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what kind of growing pains have you gone through? I mean, because like you said, all these countries are reaching out. You're in uh, 30 countries, over 30 countries now. Um, so the distribution side, I, I would imagine is, is a growing pain, but what else, what other, what, what things like if you were giving advice to somebody who was new in the industry, new as a, a new cigar manufacturer, and you're like, Hey, these are some of the struggles that I went through. Like, just watch out for this, this, and this, like, what would it be? What, what, what would be some of the things you tell them to watch out for? Uh, one of my, uh, struggles that I had, um, when I was, tr- when I travel, for instance, and I have a specific country reaching out. Uh, it I mean it sounds very silly, uh, but uh, bringing on the boxes the warning labels, and it was for instance it's in Arabic. I was like, "What's front side? What's back side? How do you explain it to the factory?" I'm not there because uh, everything looks like the same, and I don't know what even does it, what does it mean. Like that's like uh, that's like some stuff is like, "Wow, I wish I would be at the factory. I would have uh, would love to have my guy." Uh, on the phone, let's go through these Arabic letters. Is it like the front side? Is it the back side? Because I know if if we put it wrong, we have problems with custom, and I don't want to mess it up. So this is like kind of like these little things, but you know it can cost you a lot. Like you can uh, custom can reject it. Like hey, this is the wrong warning label. You put it on the wrong side. This is like kind of um, yeah challenges uh, I go through, or sometimes what I go through uh, is um, to have enough stock in a warehouse because. Now, for instance, there's a product uh, it was not moving at all for one year. It's like not moving. I was like, mm, maybe I should get rid of the uh, uh, I should get rid of the Vitola, like uh, a torpedo. All of a sudden, it started moving like hell. I was like, oh wow, okay, I didn't expect that because I didn't plan for that because I do always a forecast. And these are like the challenges. You, it just hits you like you don't know uh, this will uh, that this will happen to you. And yeah, these are like the challenges you really have to watch out because you work on forecast. But at the end, all of a sudden, the consumer mind changes. Uh, one district lost that cigars, and it just he just hit you with a big order, and you're like, "Okay, I didn't see that coming." You know, and you're talking about numbers changing and the forecast, and and, and consumers, consumers especially in the U.S., which is I obviously can speak to that because I'm a consumer in the U.S. We're very fickle, and we are very, and I, and I know Nick will agree with this. Uh, we are very. Um, What's the new thing coming out? We always want the new shiny thing. Like the old stuff is great. Yeah, no, it's fine. But we want the new shiny thing. Uh, with with the economic forecast worldwide uh, and all of the turbulence around the world, do you find it's harder to, to forecast or are you having to go back and kind of reevaluate, rethink uh, some of your strategies? Uh, you, you just from anecdotal talking to almost all the retailers that I know, all, all of the the online retailers, all of the, the, the local B&Ms, all of your, your, your brick and mortars, they, they've all said that traffic is down, but sales are up year over year. So there are fewer people buying, but the people who are buying are buying more. But some of that is because of, you know, price increases and, and, and whatnot. Um, are, are you finding that, are you finding that a challenge right now to, to, to forecast for the future as far as what, especially here in America, what, what consumers are going to want and how much they're going to spend? Yeah, that, that's a that's a big challenge for us. But what we do, um, in order to, um, you know, to handle this challenge, 
uh, we will think, okay, uh, this could be the forecast, but we always have a big backup at the factory. So let's say once products start moving, we can refill our warehouses like within two to three weeks. It's that that's how we handle it. Uh, have like when I mean, it's very cash intense, uh, but have a good inventory because the the worst thing in my opinion that happened like people are asking for cigars, but you cannot pro- you know you cannot sell, you cannot provide because you don't have it. And this is, I don't want that. So that's why I'm always looking into have enough inventory, not just cigars, have enough bands. Even if, you know, if I change it at some point, I have to throw it away, but have enough bands in stock, have enough UPC codes. Just, just avoid any delay because at the end, I want to make the consumer and the retailer or the distributor happy because, you know, they should have the ability when I have it in stock, they should have, uh, they can order it. When I don't have it in stock, I will restock within two weeks. Well, let me let, let me ask you uh, about that because I, I know of uh, a couple of manufacturers that have had some issues keeping cigars in stock for the last uh, you know year or two, and normally it's due to not being able to keep the company's uh, the when I say the company I mean the factory the factory's attention because the factory um, especially for boutique uh, manufacturers they're 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 not these factories put out lots of products for lots of different manufacturers. And so the, the manufacturer who puts in the largest orders are going to have the attention of that factory more than, uh, you know, a smaller, a smaller company. And so to, to you first, um, uh, Dr. Lambert, and then, then to Nick, how, how do you keep, how do you keep the factory's attention? How, like when you, cause you know, like, Hey, at a drop of a hat, I may need more of these rolled so they can sit and age for X amount of months and get them, get them shipped in. How do you keep their attention? So uh, with all the factories that we work, we have a very close, I have a very close relationship. It's not just business. We are like also friends on a, a personal level. Um, it's uh, it's not business. It's also friendship that keeps it alive. Because uh, uh, at the end, uh, you know, you become friends. You hang out together. You spend a lot of time. And my factories that I work with, I know they would never let me hanging. So that's very important. Could, would you would you ever? And I, I'm going to come back to you, Nick, because I, I want your perspective from both a manufacturer and a factory uh, perspective. But but, Doctor Lampert, do you? could you imagine not going to one of these factories that rolls your cigars and not having these, these friendships and networking? I mean, that's such a big part of the cigar uh, mythos anyway, is that, you know, it's all about talking to people. It's all about sharing the experience over, over the, uh, these leaves. Do you, can you imagine not going to these factories and just putting in orders, calling, Hey man, I need this. All right, thanks. And just having that business relationship and not the friendship. No, for me, uh, it's also, it's personal. It's a personal driven relationship. That's very important. I, for instance, I would never work with a factory where like, hey, your order uh, 375, uh, that's a customer number. You just pick up the phone and you place the order and that's it. Because that's for me, that's not personal. Um, that's why we work like with mid-sized companies, personal relationship. You're not just a number. Uh, you have a personal relationship to them. They know you, uh, you know, you hang out, you go dinner, you go lunch, uh, and you know you, you do some vacation together uh that's for me very it's not just a business perspective of course it's very important but also the, on the personal level i think that makes uh actually a good uh business nick i i would imagine you agree right 
Yeah, the word that comes to mind is it's all about relationships in business in general, and as important with your partners in whatever factory you work with, you want to pick a factory that isn't like, like Stefan said, you don't want to be a number, you know, some of the larger, you know, factories, you are just a number, the mid-sized to smaller ones, you're more important to them. But again, it's more important to have the relationship with the factory where they're not going to leave, leave you hanging. So it's all about relationships. That's what it is. Nick, uh, I, I, because I know that I, I, I'm sure, and I don't, I'm not asking for names, obviously. But I'm sure you've had um, manufacturers want to just have that business relationship. Do you warn them against that? Like, hey, like you should probably just come down here, hang out, meet everybody, meet Felipe, meet, you know, just get the relationship going. Do you do you try to get people to do that when they're like, hey, I was thinking about maybe using tobacco to Costa Rica. Like, do you think I can just call, you know, Felipe and put an order in? You're like, no, 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 no. You need to come down. If you can't invest the time and money to travel to visit the factory of your choosing. I, I don't see how it's possible. I really don't. I mean, yeah, people do it and we know people that have done it and kudos to them that are able to do it. But I think long-term it's just not sustainable because unless you have that personal touch, that personal connection, you know, Stefan's right. If you, if you've never, you know, okay, I order this tobacco, this cigar, it's done over the phone and through the mail, you know, you're just a person at the end of the other end of the, of a phone. So I just don't see how that even is possible, you know, and if you are passionate enough in this industry, part of it is actually being here, you know, even if you don't have that much direct input to the blends, just being around it, just making those relationships. I think it's, it's a necessity. Well, and speaking of relationships and, and, and that personal touch, uh, Dr. Lampert, here in the next couple of weeks, PCA is coming up, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, you know, at the end of March here. Um, that's an important time for you to get FaceTime with a lot of these retailers that you only come to the U.S., you know, what what did you say, four times a year? Four times a year. So four times a year, this is one of those times where you you come in for the for the PCA trade show and you're able to shake hands and kiss babies, as they say, uh, and really uh, cultivate the, that the personal relationship with your customers, uh, which are the B and M's and the online retailers and whatnot. How how important is that for you that do you get that FaceTime with with everybody at the trade show? Uh, for me, it's very important because I want to see. The face that actually uh, I'm dealing with is representing the brand. Uh, it's for me. It's it's uh, as Nick said. It's uh, it's a relationship business. Um, it's very important. You, you know, I want to uh, uh, see like this retail. Oh, okay. It's this guy. It's this. I, I know him. Uh, I just want to know the people that carry the brand. It's also for me. It's very important that I know the people. So I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you got? What do you got for us coming up at the trade show? What are you What are you going to be? Do you have any surprises? We already know the Limitada uh, is you're going to be showing that off at the trade show and uh, that'll be releasing uh, soon after. What do you have for us? Anything else that uh, you can share with us here a couple of weeks before? Uh, if if we make it, uh, we will show a new box presentation for Nicaragua. We will change. Uh, we would change it at the end. It is at the end of the year to 10 count boxes. Uh, it's just a, a better seller. And it's also like for the people, better introduction. Now we have a 20 count. 
we will try or we will see how the market is, uh, how the market is responding. Um, that's what we'll do. And yeah, but uh, the main focus will be on our Limitada, which was rolled at Tobacco City Costa Rica in 2023, aged for a very, very long time at the Humidor. Uh, before we talk about that a little bit more in depth, the Limitada, I, I, you, you mentioned that you're going to change box counts from 20 to 10. And there's you're not the only retailer or the only manufacturer to be doing that. It, it, do you do you see that as um, an answer to some of the economic, uh, you know, whatever's going on? Do you see that as a as a reaction to to that? Like, OK, they used to come in. There used to be this many coming in. They'd spend X amount. Now we have fewer people coming in spending X amount. We, we need to back off a little bit, maybe try to get these people back in the door, back as customers. And to do that, let's instead of 20 count boxes, let's do 10 count boxes. Oh, uh, for me, um, for the 10 count boxes is, uh, the main, the main thing is, I think, uh, or I believe, um, let's say the, the consumer, he doesn't know the brand. Would he rather buy a 20 count box of a ba- of a brand that he doesn't know? Or would he rather buy the 10 count boxes? He doesn't know. Cause if it's like, hits like the, that's, that's my personal rule. If it hits like the $200 mark, it's going to be a tough sale. If it's like less than $200, it's like, okay, I give it a shot. Why not? Well, okay, you bring up a good point, but there are a lot of folks, and we talked to Charlie Monado about this when he was on late last year, uh, and I think I've asked just about everybody who's been on, uh, but there is a trend in the cigar industry right now to have 30 40 50 cigars. Uh, And I have heard uh, John Huber said it on his podcast from crown heads. He said that the, the day of the, of the $10 cigar is over. It is now the day of the $20 cigar. And in 10 years, like who knows where it'll be 30, $40 will be the average price. Do you think that's true? Or do you see yourself bucking that trend and saying, no, it's not a cash grab for me. It is a, it it is a process and I'm going to follow the process. So for me, um, I mean, it's all, it was always one of my, uh, key principles. I want to offer a great smoke to a fair price. Um, that's why we never like offered cigars in a regular production for like 25, 30, 40, $50. That, that's not me. Cause I want to have, what I really like is like people should have access to a good smoke to a fair price. Um, I think that's, uh, the best way I don't have any intention to make like, okay, this is now a $30, $40, $50, $60, dollars That's just uh, not, not me. So you're going to stay true to yourself and, and yeah. it's going to be excessive. And, and there's something to be said for that. And there's there are a, a couple of other companies I can think of that are doing that and saying, no, we're not going to, we're, like, we're going to stay true to what we are, who we are, what we're doing and what, what our vision is. And so I, I, I respect that. Um, but let's talk about this Limitada. Now that's coming out. So you, it's been aged now for how long? Uh, it's aged for around a year. Um, around a year aged uh, in the humid. That's why we put the band of 2023 because then what's actually the uh, the aging started. That's why we didn't put the 2024 band. Put the 2023 band on it. It's a Toro Gordo. Uh, it's a, a, a like a size that we don't have in the portfolio. It's a six and a half by fifty six. We thought about the U.S. market because the U.S. market love uh, they love uh, bigger cigars, or they call it big boy cigars. That's what someone told me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, with a dark uh, Habano, uh, with a dark Habano wrapper, 
mainly for the U.S. We only make six thousand uh, cigars. Four four thousand five hundred goes to the U.S. The rest to uh, Europe. Wow! Yeah. So we're getting the we're getting the majority of it here. Yeah. Nice. So what, why, so this was announced in 23, right? In fact, wasn't it at the last trade show where you were like, Hey, this is what the limited is coming out. Why, why wait the year? Just, they weren't ready. And you were like, no, they need to, they need to rest a little more. Um, uh, I smoked it before, but the tobacco was just not ready. It was harsh and I don't bring any product on the market, uh, on the market that I don't like or has harsh uh, tobacco or is bitter. I don't, I don't do that. Uh, I rather wait the time till it's ready to release well and you know you have the luxury of being able to do that because you've been very successful at what you've done your cigars are fantastic uh nick how important is it that manufacturers take that that approach that they smoke it before and if it's not ready it's not ready we're gonna let it sit and you know i know as a consumer consumers get so angry Especially when they put it out. Hey, this cigar is coming out and then it doesn't come out for a year. And that's not always entirely the fault of of the, the manufacturer or even the factory. It's just, hey, if it's not ready, it's not ready. It's a it's a handmade product. It's it's ready when it's ready. Well, let me first say that I don't care what cigar it is, any cigar could take advantage of aging. We're talking after rolled aging. A cigar you smoke today that you bought that maybe has 90 days of age on it and you wait a year, it's a different cigar. So it changes, you know, not necessarily the the base flavor profile, but the the melding of the cigars, the synergistic effect of all the cigar tobaccos together just kind of become smoother and mix with each other better. So, yeah, Um it depends on what flavor profile you have in your mind. Now, let's say somebody else other than Stefan would smoke that limitada, and he thought that that would hit his mark perfectly at where it was. Stefan said, you know what? I want it to be this. And the only way to change it from there to here is time. So it's important. And what I like about Stefan is that he knows what he wants. And the best customer for any factory is when a cons- a manufacturer or brand knows what they want. It's so much easier to work with people that know what they want because a lot of times most people don't, you know, they come in, Hey, you know what? Give me, I, I love it when people come out. Oh, can you blend me something like a Padron? I'm like, no, because Padron exists. Why do you want another Padron? Right. You know, it, well, you know, and I, that's usually how I respond, but the reality is I under, it gives me an idea of what they're looking for. And then you go from there to try to build on that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Lampert, if somebody came to you today and said, Hey, I want to get into the business. I want to become a cigar manufacturer. Would you say, yeah, it's a good idea. Or would you say, uh, uh, no, maybe not. Like, do you, do you, um, do you, let, let me phrase it a different way. Do you think that the cigar industry can handle more boutique cigar manufacturers? I mean, I, personally, I would ask him like, uh, what's your goal what's your interest like what are you looking for uh and then i will give him like uh him or her my uh personal opinion if it uh makes sense you know if it's um as nick said if somebody just like 
copying another brand for me it's like you know it doesn't make any sense uh, why this brand already exists you just you're a copycat like oh, what do you want to do with your brand what's your perception if your perception is just, or like this cigar i just want to copy it like i think uh, you will not be successful yeah no like, yeah like nick said if you want i, I want to be i want to make another padrone <laughs> why there's already padrone out there why do you want to do that yeah yeah no absolutely uh Dr. Lambert, like last question here uh, for you, and we'll let you go because I know you're you're in Costa Rica and you're 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 busy, you're doing things, and I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Where do you see Lambert cigars in five years? My vision is to be in um, to be represented in as many countries as possible, to have a great quality of cigars. Um. And just, you know, to be like visible in not just in the States, but in the whole world. Uh, so if somebody travels for uh, from Hungary to uh, the States, is it okay, well, I smoke this. Uh, like yesterday I had, no, one was two days ago, I had someone from uh, uh, someone from the U.S. is like, hey, I really like your cigars. Uh, I was in, um, in Budapest uh, for three months and I grabbed your cigars. Amazing stuff. And can I get it in the States? I said, yeah, sure. And he found it immediately. And another country like Hungary, uh, they brought his attention because they carried our cigars like, oh, wow. And now we have a good regular customer. He he voted as a top, uh, I think it was his number two of the year. And yeah, that's how we connect because uh, I think it's important to be in many market as possible. Uh, branding, uh, branding, you know, uh, people are aware of your brand. I we just want to extend in as many markets where it makes sense as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a that's a great place to be and want to be is, you know, I'm not a European country uh, company. I'm not a U.S. company. I'm a worldwide company. You can enjoy my cigars yeah. in, in wherever you're at. That's that, that's a that's a great vision to have. Uh, Dr. Lampert, thank and, you. So and wait, wait, wait one second. Oh, I just want to okay. add. Oh, here we go. Now, now is the perfect time for an international brand where most people that get into this business, Americans that get into this business, they really only focus on the U S and the reality is because the U S represents, believe it or not, 70% of the consumer market of smokers. So that's their focus. And before it was a lot more closed minded for the rest of the world. But now because of the pricing hikes of Habanos and the availability, there has been no better time to really be everywhere. You know, and, I want to add that. And that's a good point, Nick. I, I, when you look at cigars, like you look at food and you say, I want to travel to France and I want to eat at some of the best French restaurants in the world. When you look at a cigar and you say, oh, I want to try some of the best cigars in the world to have an international brand that is everywhere. And like Dr. Lampert just said, he had a customer who was in uh, Budapest and was like, I, I found Lampert cigars. Are they available back home in the U.S.? Oh, yeah, they are. Absolutely. Now you're getting some of the best cigars in the world are not just in the U S and they're not Cubans. There's some of the, some of the best in the world are non-Cubans. Uh, and guys, if you have not tried Lampert cigars, you've got to go try Lampert cigars. Uh, it, they are very good. Uh, some of the best out there, the Don Patron, if you like something mild, I think the ocean breeze is, is, is not, uh, you know, it, it's probably right in that medium, medium plus, And that is, Oh, oh that is, Oh baby. Oh my God. 
I love that as well. <laughs> like that was the first what I smoked yeah. from, from you, Dr. Lamb, and I fell in love with that. We like both myself and Tim, we each bought a box as soon as we got back from the trade show in 21. We're like, ah, oh, we got to get a box of these. These are amazing. <laughs> I love it. I do. I They're so good. Dr. Lambert, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Nick, as always, uh, good show. I appreciate you guys taking the time tonight. I know this was kind of uh, a rush thing. Like, hey, can you come on? Yeah, 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 come on. So I appreciate you uh, coming on. And Nick, thank you so much for setting this up. Thank you very much. Guys, next week where Tim will be hosting Clear the Air with myself and Nick, and we will talk about Dr. Lampert behind his back and then put it out for everybody to listen to, including Dr. Lampert, if he so uh, chooses to do so. And then he can... He can yell at me at the trade show and be like, you asshole, why are you talking to me behind my back? Uh, Dr. Lambert again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Nick, we'll uh, we'll see you a little later tonight. Uh, that's going to do it for us, guys. Um, as always, stay smoky, friends.